I would say, I had five microliters, and I would think, well, that's done. Like you enough. don't own me. <laughs> that's right. You can't tell me what to do, protocol. Yeah. I'm going to add six if I damn well want to. Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them. This week on the show, we answer the age-old question, do I really need to do a postdoc? And we finally break down and drink pumpkin beer. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hello PhD, episode 20. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab. Another week, Daniel. Here we are. Episode 20. 20 episodes. Can you believe it? One score and several weeks ago. (laughs) That's right. We have now forged our way into the fall season, and I'm happy to report we are full-on celebrating this week. This is a momentous occasion. We have fought for many, many weeks to avoid the ethanol that we are going to sample. Yeah, we have been naysayers on pumpkin beer for uh, pretty consistently for the last few episodes. Nay, I say, to these beers. But Dan, something fundamental has changed. Okay, what is that? Someone has sent us pumpkin beer. I have never turned down a free beer. That's right. Our favorite beer is free beer, so we are going to drink some pumpkin beer this week. Where'd this one come from? Well, I'm excited to say you remember our good friend Robin Chamberlain. Friend of the show. Who was our our guest on, I don't remember what episode it was, but the Am I Too Old for This episode. Yep. That's right. She was kind enough to send us one of her favorite pumpkin beers from St. Louis, Missouri, and that is the Schlafly Pumpkin Ale. That has more L's than it should. Schlafly? Schlafly. I think I got that right. Yeah, it looks like it. Not Schlafly. There's no E before the Y. Okay, should we we sample this guy? Yeah, let's give a taste. Before you do, Dan, I want to tell you, I know we have been skeptical of pumpkin beer, but I did a little poking around online. And you'll be happy to know that Paste Magazine ranked this as their number one favorite pumpkin beer in the United States. Oh, that's pretty incredible. And they, they had to sample several of them, so I'm sorry for them, but well, happy for us. They ranked their 15 favorite and I think their 15 least favorite. And that's exciting. This was number one. So if we're going to like one, this is the one. Excellent. So I'm, I'm looking at the glass here. Beautiful dark amber. Um, the flavor, I've got some clove, I've got some cinnamon, but it's not over the top. The The one thing that stands out to me, though, this is a high-gravity beer, sir. This is an 8%er. And I, I think I can pick up a little that, you know, usually when you drink a, a high-gravity beer, it's an IPA or something so overwhelmingly hoppy that you don't taste the alcohol. I think I can taste it. Yeah, this one, this one's going to warm us up on this chilly fall night. Uh, I'll, be, sure. I'll be sleeping on the couch of the studio here. Dan, and I also want to let you know, this was not only brewed with pumpkin, but also the secret ingredient, butternut squash. Oh, that's the secret to a lot of, of uh, pumpkin replacements. Are you picking up the butternut squash? Yeah, definitely. Why not? You know, I was reading a little bit about pumpkin beer, Dan, and I know you like you like history. Well, it turns out the early American colonists used to brew with pumpkin, not because it was a a cool craft thing to do for the fall season, but there was a shortage of malted barley. So they would regularly brew with pumpkin and squash just because they had more of it. Source of sugar, any port in a storm, I suppose. Yeah, it actually wasn't until the 1990s that American craft brewers said, hey, let's let's try this uh, 
to market for the fall season. Now, did you look at the the worst pumpkin beers? Because these are pretty funny. We'll have to post this article. Um, they they rated Southern Tier Warlock Imperial Pumpkin Stout, and they said it tastes like decades old Easy Bake Oven brownie <laughs> mix rehydrated with black licorice liqueur. They said perfect for crafting an extremely effective homemade ipecac. <laughs> so if you want if you want to have a fun party, pick up the bottom two or three pumpkin beers. And yeah, give I'm, them a try. I'm very pleased that we did not end up with those. And thank you so much to Robin for sending it over. Thanks, Robin. This one is delicious, and you're changing my mind on pumpkin beer. Dan, I'm not I'm not one of these guys to get into the pumpkin spice everything. I don't even really like the pumpkin spice latte or any of that. But let me tell you what I do like. I'm a purist. I love a pumpkin pie. And Dan... And I see some pumpkin pie before me. This is a big day, a special day. I made us a pumpkin pie today to eat on the show. I saw that a lot of the pumpkin pie was eaten before I got here, so I don't think you made us okay. a pumpkin pie. Okay, so I didn't really make it for the show, but I happened to have some leftover pumpkin pie. But I did make this from scratch earlier today. Give it a taste. Let me know what you think. Okay, here My we go. My secret recipe. As delicious. You did a nice job. Very smooth. I love making pie, Dan. I... I'm actually not much of a baker. I like to cook. And I feel like when you think about science, I feel like you could think of scientists as either bakers or cooks. Okay, what is the difference? So when I think of a baker, I think baking is precision is very important. Yeah, you should weigh your flour and you should weigh your... Yeah, yeah serious bakers, sense. they don't even measure the flour, right? They weigh it to make sure they have exactly the right amount because that's... Scoop and level. I mean, oh, that could be anybody's scoop exactly. or anybody's... And it's key for those chemical reactions in the baking. Whereas cooks, you do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, give it a taste, a little more. That's kind of how I always did science. But you baked a pumpkin pie. Is that baking? Yeah, but pie is more like cooking, I think, because you just kind of mix the innards together and dump them in and then you know it's fine it's very forgiving how many innards are in this pie should i ask or not it's delicious but yeah don't ask too many questions again any port in a storm but it's it's good pie but you know i feel like that's how i was in the lab is i would have a protocol and i always felt very restricted by the protocol it would say add five microliters and i would think well that just doesn't seem like you don't own me (laughs) so you can't tell me what to do protocol yeah (laughs) i think i'm gonna add six if i Damn well want to. How long did your degree take, sir? Well, we don't need to get into that right now. So anyway, Dan. um, Delicious pie. Thank you for sharing. You are quite welcome. Happy fall. And you will hear me uh, munching on that for the rest of the episode. We have an inquiry that came in, and and it's one that we've actually gotten several times. We finally decided to answer this one. And uh, this time it came from a first-year graduate student who said, when is doing a postdoc not necessary? Yeah, this is a question that I get all the time. I talk to grad students quite a bit about this question. It usually comes in different forms at different times with different career goals in mind. But the question, do I need to do a postdoc? Do I really need to do a postdoc for what I want to do? Which tells you something really important right up front, I think, which is they're not saying, oh, I can't wait to do a postdoc or when can I do a postdoc? They're saying, really, do I have to do this? Yeah, you know, some you're people right. look forward to it. Obviously, some don't. Well, you're right, and I I do think inherent in that question, do I really need to do a postdoc? Kind of embedded in that is, you know, what I don't think I really love being in the lab doing experiments all that much, and the thought of doing that for another three years or so, four years, does not sound very appealing. Yeah, so uh, slightly worrying for a first year grad student to be asking that because it could be a long road for the next four or five years, but. Let's answer the question as if it were anybody that asked it. 
Yeah, it's a great it's a great thing to discuss, and and I think there are really a lot of a lot of themes that are important to talk about here. And so, first, I think Dan. Yes, should, you have to do a postdoc. That's the answer. Good episode, Josh. Should enjoy your postdoc. So, I think the first thing Dan we could talk about is when doing a postdoc is definitely necessary. Yeah, that makes sense. So, here are the list of things that if you want to do this, yes, you should do a postdoc. Yeah, if your goal is to run your own lab someday in an academic setting. Absolutely. Yeah, it'd, be, it'd be pretty hard to fall out of graduate school into a tenure track position just randomly. You know, I, I think. think it used to be that way. Really? But it's not that way now. And and the other thing is, often if you want to run your own lab, the research program or the research focus of your lab, you've fleshed that out during your postdoc. Yeah, it comes from your postdoc. That has been my experience in every lab that the PI picked it up as their postdoc work. Yeah, and so that's why I think it's really imperative if that's what you want to do, you want to run your own lab, you need to think really carefully about your postdoc and you need to think from a scientific perspective, what do I want to do? What interests me? What almost, what could I imagine my life's work being? Obviously that's going to change, but for all intents and purposes, you should be thinking with that mentality, what is the topic that I want to really um, at least start my career out studying. And this is different from the advice that you give to an undergrad doing a rotation. I mean, I think in that case, I've heard you say, make sure that the lab is going to give you good training, even if the research is not the exact thing you want to do for the rest of your life. Yeah, opposite rules apply here if you want to be a tenure-track faculty member at a research institution. Now, yes, going somewhere where the mentorship is good is a little bit of a factor, but more than anything, you want to go somewhere you can be independent and really carve out your own project that you can take with you. It's something that you are really passionate about, I think. Because, again, you're saying, I want my career to be doing research. So you want to pursue research that excites you. Now, what if you're, what if you're not going to the same type of university? Like, say you want to go to a smaller liberal arts college. I can imagine that I shouldn't get into the same kind of research as if I'm going to Harvard. Yeah, and that is a good point. And so this actually was my career goal when I, probably about the time I was entering my postdoc, is I wanted to pursue a faculty job at a smaller school, at a liberal arts school where I could do some teaching and research. And so what you want to be careful of, and I've actually seen grad students make this mistake, is if your target, your dream job is to go to a smaller school, you need to think about that when you're carving out the research program that you're developing. And so what I mean is, let's say you do a postdoc that's very disease-focused and, and it's dependent on this really intensive mouse model or some kind of animal model. Chances are, at the small liberal arts school where you want to get your job, they don't have facilities for that. They don't have money for that. And so if you come in and give your job talk and say, I'm going to do this research program with all these mouse studies. Build me a mouse facility. They are going to say, we, don't, we can't this person's not a good fit. And so yeah. you want to think about not only this research is interesting to me, but this is the type of research that actually would be transferable to a smaller institution. Yeah, you may actually postdoc your way out of a job that you want. Yeah, and, and actually you need to think about this is the type of research I could imagine undergraduates readily getting involved in. So flies, yes. C. elegans, yes. Mice, probably not. Yeah, and you know, that's actually what I did as a postdoc is I started out in a lab um, that did animal studies, did mouse studies, and very quickly, you know, my PI and I had a conversation that was just what we talked about. Like, this is not really the best direction for me to go in with my career goals. So I actually did shift over and, and looked at similar questions, but developing a model in yeast and Drosophila, 
because that would have been a better fit for the type of institution that I wanted to go to. Drosophila, word of the week, several weeks ago. Go back and listen to it. <laughs> we know what that means. Some of us still remember. Okay, so what if you want to teach, though? Because I can imagine um, if I just want to teach, I don't need to have a lot of extra research experience. You know, if you're someone who wants to teach as a career, most of the time, unless you just happen to fall into a great situation to pursue those experiences as a grad student, I would say most people coming out of graduate school are lacking in real teaching experience. They don't train you to do it in graduate school, typically. Yeah, I mean, you, can get some, you can get some experience because you volunteer for it, or maybe your program has a piece of it, but they're not teaching you to teach. There's no pedagogical training. Absolutely. And so I would, you know, from what I've seen and myself as well, you, know, you, feel, you would feel very underprepared to just jump right into a, a teaching intensive career. Write a syllabus. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Like I could write a protocol for you. Okay. For, day one. What are you going to tell the people? Uh, <laughs> this room of a hundred undergrads are staring at you. Staring at you with dewy eyes. Yeah. Uh, but I think what's important then is for your postdoc, I think for someone who wants to do teaching, I think a postdoc, again, can be very important, but you want to be thoughtful about the type of postdoc you pursue. And, and what I mean is if teaching job is what you want to do and teaching experience is what you need, you want to make sure during that postdoc, there actually are real opportunities to get real teaching experience that'll help you build your, your resume and your CV. And so what's very, very important for you is to make sure you're upfront with the PI when you're doing your interviews for postdocs, that your goal is to do some teaching. You need to get those teaching experiences during your postdoc because what you don't want to happen, and I've seen this happen is you get into your lab, your postdoc lab, and suddenly you seek out these teaching opportunities and you hit a brick wall because your PI is not at all supportive of giving you time out of the lab to actually do teaching. And you either do one of two things. You either don't pursue those teaching experiences that you need to get the job you want, or you have to sneak around and feel like you're moonlighting uh, from the lab. And that's, that's not a good place Clandestine to be. Clandestine teaching. Yeah, that and nobody wants that. And so, you know, you might you might think like, well, but if I'm up front about I want to spend time out of the lab doing teaching, maybe that PI won't offer me a spot in the lab. But what I'd say to you is that's not the place you want to be. You want to know before you sign on the dotted line, this is not a lab that's going to allow me to get the teaching experience I need before you join. If you find out before you join that PI is not amenable to you getting those experiences, fantastic. Go find somebody who will. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And neither of us went to industry research jobs. I'd be interested to hear from our listeners about whether a postdoc really helps or doesn't make any difference. But have you heard, have you seen people go into industry and, and take a research position and does a postdoc help? So I actually had a good friend who was a grad student in my lab. Um, he was a few years beyond me, but he actually found an industry postdoc. So some companies, some industry institutions actually offer postdocs themselves. And so that can actually be a fantastic way to get your foot in the door. These are usually listed as temporary two or three year positions. But from yeah. what I've heard in my experience, these often are ways the company in a non-committal way can find out if you're good yeah, and then is hire such a, you. Uh, such an odd thing to... Uh, uh, industry postdoc it's like are you an intern and you're not going to get paid and you're gonna I, I don't understand why they don't just hire you or not hire you because they have the ability at a university they can they cannot fire you very easily because it's a state system or whatever in industry they should pay you what you're worth and fire you if they don't like you 
Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if it's one of those things there are enough people who are interested in that path. I mean, yeah, why is it a postdoc and not a job? Yeah, that's a good question. Somebody write in and tell us about your industry postdoc. It'd be really helpful to hear about it. Uh, but I will say, and you know, Dan, I've learned a little bit more about this actually even a few episodes back when we interviewed some of the postdocs for our, for our postdoc episode. Um, you know, one of the things that at least one of the postdocs was talking about who is on the industry job search right now was actually finding that what industry was looking for were individuals, postdocs, who had some experience outside the lab, especially if they happen to have experience in leadership training or experience in management training, even if it wasn't a whole lot, if they had done some workshops or some kind of professional development in those areas, that would make you stand out quite a bit more than just having maybe that extra paper or those extra techniques under your belt. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially because if you think about what they are trying to hire for, if if they have a machine that just loads, you know, they need samples loaded, they will hire somebody whose job it is to load those samples. Um, but what they are hiring a PhD for is to direct research and to, re- to direct those people. I'd be surprised if you spent a lot of time at the bench as one of these industry people. Please write to us and let us know. But I suspect that management training is what they're looking for because you're, you're directing a group of other people who are doing that work uh, on an individual level. So they're trained very specifically in a technique and they just do it over and over. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And my understanding of industry is most of the people in there actually doing the research have bachelor's or master's degrees. And as a, as a PhD, you're going to be coming in more at a management position. Yep. Um, now, I will say, you know, since I guess the theme of this is do I really need a postdoc, if your career goal is to go into industry and you're a grad student now, yeah, you probably do need to do a postdoc. But again, you want to think about the experience you need. Almost think about your resume as you graduate. What's my dream job and what are the holes? What are the areas that are preventing me right now from being competitive for that job I want? And so make sure what you don't do is just put your head down and do an academic research postdoc for four or five years, getting no networking with people in industry, getting no leadership experience, getting no management experience. You should really be spending as much time trying to develop these other transferable skills and broadening your network as you are in the lab working on your project. Yeah, your personal publication record is probably not the be-all and end-all for the people recruiting you for that job. So that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Um, now, I have noticed I, I scan through LinkedIn at people that I went to graduate school with and other people that I know. Um, and I noticed a lot of very short postdocs. And so so there's this category of people that take a postdoc when it's useful to them, but it's not really necessary for what they went on to do. And I'm thinking of the people that maybe didn't know exactly what they wanted to do next. And so they do the six-month or the eight-month eight month postdoc, and then they go on to do something totally different. Um, science writing, medical liaison, technical or biotech consulting, things like that. You, you leave the bench... Um, but you use the postdoc as a way to search for that job, basically. I think that is something that's fairly common. Um, And I think that can be okay in certain instances because I think the reality is, and and I think this was true for me too, Dan, maybe it was, I guess it wasn't true for you because you didn't do a postdoc. But a lot of times, like grad school is so busy, especially at the end, you're so focused on just getting out and getting done that you don't you can suddenly be right there with a defense date and realize like 
oh my gosh, what am I doing next? Like, what am I actually going to do when I leave? And so I think it can be okay. You're familiar with the lab. And usually it is pretty straightforward to get an academic postdoc to do that for a year yeah, or I mean, so a lot to figure of time, it out. You'll go to the lab next door or you'll stay in your lab if they have funding for you. Um, usually it's not like I'm going to move across the country and take a three-month postdoc. But I think these things happen. And, and then that answers the question, when don't you need a postdoc? If you know that you do not want to do bench research, you're going to move to another type of job. Um, you know that that job does not require it. And if you can get it lined up before you get out of grad school, you do not need to do a postdoc. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And the only way, though, you're going to be set up in that position is, again, I feel like we say this all the time, is if you put in the work as early as possible as a grad student, figuring out what are my skills, what are my interests, what do I want to do, and then how do I get there? And you can do that for a lot of for a lot of career paths. You can do that as a graduate student, but you're only going to be at that place ready to find those jobs and transition into them and be competitive for them if you've put the work in as a grad student. Yeah, in my own personal experience, I had the job lined up and I did my, we had a private defense and a public defense. I didn't do my public defense until the month after I started my new job. So my new job was still on the same campus in a very different part of the university. But, you know, I invited my new boss. You want to come across the street and hear me talk about something totally different. Um, and so I did my public um, defense of my dissertation, but I had already started my other gig. And that's a great way to do it. And actually, I'll say one helpful way to motivate your committee to let you graduate is getting a job lined up. Yeah, it's a, a very good way because then, you know, there there are no more T's to cross and I's to dot. They have trained you and, and you're ready for the world. You know, I think a lot of what we're saying is what you want to try to avoid is just doing a postdoc by default. And I think a lot of people fall into this. You get to the end of, of your PhD, you haven't put a lot of thought in. And so you just say, well, I'll just do a postdoc for a while. And, you know, as we said a minute ago, I think that can be okay as long as it's a very temporary period of time while you do that work that maybe you didn't have time to do as a grad student. But what you have to be careful about, and a lot of people fall in this trap as postdocs, is you don't want to just get swept up in postdoc land and years go by and you're still not intentionally moving towards whatever your step is out of your postdoc. Because one thing that's very important to realize is your postdoc is not a job. Your postdoc is a training opportunity. It's a temporary step, right? It's a transition point. It's not, it's not a place to settle down and get comfortable. And so, as we said before, I think the time to start looking for your next move when you start your postdoc is on day one. Yeah, that's right. For anybody, um, no matter how you find yourself in the postdoc, that is good advice. It's probably good that the the listener who wrote in the question, you know, I, I mentioned that as a first year, I'm a little worried about the next five years of graduate school. If you're really not into research on day one, um, the next five years are going to be tough. But it is good because the listener is asking this question now and will hopefully have a very good plan for the next step. And if you know you don't want to do a postdoc, then year one of graduate school, you can start uh, meeting people and figuring out what you want to do next. Absolutely, Dan. One thing I do feel like I want to say and, and need to say is, you know, from my experience, I really enjoyed being a postdoc. And I say that from the point of view of being very burned out by the end of graduate school. You know, I was very much questioning science. And if I wanted to do science, I would say my confidence was at an all time low in my abilities um, as a scientist and probably as a person in general. 
Yeah, it's uh, not. It's not the most awesome time. It's exciting to be done, but it's still you. You fought a hard fight. Yeah, and I see it all the time with students, and I I can really relate. Like I just want to go retire somewhere, and I'm only twenty something. You know, yeah, you'll hear people who are getting ready to graduate, and they almost have this feeling like, you know, it just seems so appealing just to go work at Starbucks or just to go do something where I don't have to think. Barnes and Noble, <laughs> except they don't like, still exist. Yeah, I don't. Th- I heard Amazon just opened a brick and mortar store there you go grad students that's your dream now <laughs> it's amazon brick and mortar that's right but i kind of get that it's like oh, drones could, will replace you soon <laughs> if i could just do a nine to five right like that's what i really want but i think what really happens is you know you don't have a good appreciation for how much you do know and the skills you actually do have and so what i found was when i went into my postdoc suddenly it was like a breath of fresh air because one, if you can think about, if you're a grad student right now, think about this. Think about all the headaches with your current project. I mean, you know in detail all the things that are annoying about what you're doing, all the pitfalls. Imagine once you graduate, that's all gone. You don't care at all. It's a blank slate, yeah. Yeah, and so imagine that freedom where suddenly you walk into a new place, you have a new project, but now unlike when you start grad school, you really do have this pretty decent knowledge. You know, maybe in grad school you thought, man, if I could just start over, I would do X, Y, and Z totally different. Well, now you can. You can apply all those skills, all those thinking skills and scientific skills. You can apply those to a brand new squeaky clean project. And the other thing I didn't count on was the way people treated you. Like as a postdoc walking in, you know, people actually had this certain level of respect for you and treated you like you actually knew something. And in a way, it was kind of refreshing coming into it, having such little self-confidence in your, you know, in your abilities. And then the last thing is, and this is a big thing, one reason I think grad school is so stressful is because it's almost like you need the science to work out so that you can move on with your life. Yeah, you are beholden. You're the indentured servant to those experiments you're doing. Yeah, and science doesn't work that way. And at least as a postdoc, you can do the science, but you don't have those hoops to jump through. You can literally you can literally leave at any time. You don't actually need the science to go one way or the other uh, yeah. to get out. So do your postdoc, and if it continues to, to go poorly, go work at Starbucks, but at least give it a try. You've got a blank slate. Yeah, and so you know, I just wanted to say that, that even if graduate school's not going well for you, you know, really think about, okay, well, I do think maybe I still like science because the postdoc period can actually be a time when you can rebuild your confidence. Uh, they can really actually set you up for being successful, being confident to actually go out and get whatever job that you want downstream. So TLDR, no, you don't have to do a postdoc if you don't want to go into one of the jobs we listed. Um, if you want to go into research or something related to it, you probably should, and it'll be much better than your graduate school training. If you put the work into figuring out what you want to do, and then you ask yourself, well, do I need a postdoc to do that? You may not actually know if you need a postdoc to do that, especially if it's uh, something a little more specific. So really what you need to do is just get out there and talk to people who are doing the thing that you want to do and find out, did they do a postdoc? Or maybe ask them, have the last three people you hired, did they have postdocs? And if the answer is, no, you don't at all need a postdoc to do this, by all means, don't do a postdoc. Um, but the other important thing you can do is give them your CV and have them take a look and they can tell you, what are the things that are not on my CV right now that would prevent you from hiring me? And whatever those things are, 
go out and get those experiences. If they're experiences you can accomplish through a postdoc, by all means do a postdoc. But if not, don't waste time doing a postdoc. Go out and get the experiences you need to get the job you want. Sounds good. Should we move on to the etymology puzzle of the week? Let's do it. I'm really curious about this one. This is this is one I wrote for you. So the clue last week was, what chemical compound gives Indonesian red algae desserts such a sweet flavor? Have you eaten a lot of Indonesian red algae desserts recently? Pumpkin pie. Mostly pumpkin count. pie. Yeah, it doesn't count. Well, the answer was agarose. And oh. it comes from the word agar, which is a Malay word, agar agar. Which just which is the word that they use for this red algae. So is they, that like Dan? Is that like pizza pizza? I don't think it's even remotely related to pizza pizza. I believe that comes from the Greek from Little Caesars. I think or that's, is that Roman. I think that's Caesar. Yeah, that'd be Roman. That'd be Roman. That'd be Latin. <laughs> um, yeah, we don't get a lot of um, Malay words in our in our word origins. So this, this is, is a pretty first. exciting. Yeah, but agar agar, um, and agar the gel consists of a mixture of agarose and agaropectin. Um, the main component is agarose, and it's a it's a uh, polysaccharide. So that's where you got the sweet part of the clue and the red algae. If you know your Malay, it would give you the agar. Have you ever dipped your finger in the agarose when you're making your gel and giving it a little taste? I have never tasted it. I haven't either. You're but not now, supposed to taste anything in lab. Uh, now I'm really, really feeling motivated Maybe to it's go not, try it, that. It may not be that. I mean. So you'd have to have the enzyme to break the, the polymer chain to be able to taste the sweetness, right? Somebody somebody dip your finger in the agarose. If you're listening in lab... If you've tried agarose, give, <laughs> give us an email. We, we, we in no way are telling you to do that. We take no responsibility for what happens. But, but if you do, please write in. Please send us a tweet. It'll be delicious, I promise. <laughs> Dan, what do you have for this week? So the clue for this week is, need to get somewhere fast? Use these spiral wings to fly you there. I'll read it again. Need to get somewhere fast? Use these spiral wings to fly you there. Remember, I'm looking for a scientific word described by the clue. And once you get it, you'll find the literal meaning of that science word is a phrase in the clue itself. If you think you know the answer, email it to puzzle at hellophd.com, and I'll randomly select a winner from all the correct responses and send the lucky puzzler an Amazon gift card. So you can go to the brick and mortar store. Outstanding. Maybe you're already working there. We don't know. <laughs> That's true. I'm sure they accept it there. Yeah. I, I guess you can take gift cards and spend it at your own establishment. I just sent Starbucks cards. Maybe they'd be better. Dan, this was a great episode. Great discussion. I think this is a really important question. And thank you for the delicious pumpkin pie. Thanks to Robin for the delicious pumpkin beer. Yes. Thank you, Robin. This is a good one. The butternut squash beer, we should say. Yeah. If you have a topic that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, you can email us podcast at hellophd.com or send us a tweet at hellophd or contact us on the Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. I think you should incorporate some agarose in your next pumpkin pie recipe, Josh. I will swing by the lab, dip my finger in, (laughs) and then uh, pull off a couple grams. I will look forward to tasting it. Talk to you next week. See ya.